reading for today is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And this is the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Uh, If you're a member of the church, please uh, make sure you stay for the congregational meeting. I I think uh, think if we combine um, the 11 o'clock with the 9 o'clock, we we should have enough to actually hold our meeting. We need 38 people total, so I'm a little bit nervous, but I think we'll be okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, I think Pastor Andrews is kind of in a giddy mood this morning. Uh, cracking jokes here and there, but as far as membership goes, uh, you know, we believe that, um, you know, you can't really love, say that you love Jesus uh, unless you, you know, commit to loving his body, his church, right? And, um, and so we think membership's very important. Uh, as a member, uh, you will be identifying yourself to be a active, a part of this particular body, and um, be given the responsibility to shape uh, Cornerstone. And, uh, you know, by, by voting each year, you know, we're going to have a vote later on. You're going to shape our policies and, and how we do life together. And so uh, you can't do that unless you're a member, and I think that's appropriate. So that's just one aspect of membership, but you know, unless you commit yourself to the church, I, I believe you cannot really mature in your faith, okay? You'll always just live a promiscuous spiritual life. And so, uh, you know, how can anyone grow with a promiscuous heart? You know, you've got to be committed. Uh, for those of you at home, uh, let me do my wave. I haven't done this in a while, so let me wait till my family. My family's at home, too. I think, you know, if you didn't know, uh, virtually all of the you know, youth students <laughs> contracted COVID at the recent youth retreat. Uh, even Pastor Jacob got sick. He's at home as well. And that's, that's sort of kind of shorthanded. Pastor Sam, by the way, is on vacation. So, you know, he's on unrelated absence. But, uh, um, you know, if you ask Pastor Jacob, he will say that was still very much worth it. You know, he, he, uh, he was really blessed at the retreat. And he believes that it was really worth their time to be there. And so uh, I praise God for that for his work uh, in the lives of our students. So uh, we trust that God will heal everyone 
uh, quickly in his time. Okay? All right, enough of that. You guys like the cross? <clears throat> the 9 o'clock congregation voted that we turn the lights on. Uh, I, I had to compare, and they liked it with the lights on, so we're going to keep the lights on, okay? Okay, uh, <clears throat> so... You know, in spite of this Omicron virus infecting uh, most of the church, uh, I do hope that you are able to still spend some meaningful time uh, over this Christmas season with your, you know, loved ones. Uh, I, I personally enjoy these final weeks of December, not so much because of Christmas, uh, but because I'm forced to sit down and reflect upon the past year and all that God has done in my family and in the life of the church. But also, I'm, I'm forced to envision what the new year will look like. And I enjoy that process more than anything. And that's how I approach this final message as well. Uh, and I titled the message, God's Final Word to Us in 2021. Okay, and so we'll be deviating from this for one week our regular Acts series. We'll get back to that soon. But for this final message, I wanted to um, speak from this passage because, you know, as I spent some time thinking about the kind of ministry Cornerstone has become, I felt convicted to echo these words Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus because out of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation, <clears throat> My thought is that in general, okay, in general, we resemble the Ephesian church the most in terms of our qualities and our characteristics. And so I'm hoping that that sort of tidbit will give you some extra motivation to listen well today. Um, I kind of gave a sort of a, a longer version during 9 o'clock. Uh, I'm going to simplify the message a bit for the sake of everyone. But let me first start off by offering some background information, okay? Uh, I have one, just one simple slide to show you. It's a slide that I've been sharing with you a couple times already. Uh, but here, here's the, the map, and, you know, if you recall, in our Acts series, we've been in Acts 16, Acts 17 is going to be probably next Sunday, but the Apostle Paul is on a second missionary journey, okay? And they, so he starts here, the Holy Spirit basically tells him to bypass Asia for now. That's Asia. And so Paul bypasses Asia to get to Macedonia, where, you know, we're right here in our sermon series. But on his way back, he does end up hitting one of the seven cities in Asia that's mentioned in Revelation. That's, that's the city of Ephesus. Okay, that's right here, Ephesus. He, he, he ministers here. That's in Acts chapter 19, and we'll, again, we'll get there soon. And then he returns. And so that, that's, that's where we are, sort of, uh, I, I want you to be aware of that, the fact that there, there was ministry taking place at some point through the Apostle Paul. And I also want you to know that there, there is uh, some significance in the number seven. Uh, you know, it's, it's a number that is mentioned several times in Scripture, but especially in this passage, okay? So verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden 
lampstands. And so seven and seven's mentioned, and you have these sort of, I don't know, obscure images of stars and, and lampstands. So you have to ask, what, what are these things exactly? Well, thankfully, John mentions, defines what these are. So, I mean, God, meant, God just defines what they are in, in the previous verse, okay? So in chapter, chapter 1, verse 20, we read, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, okay? And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so the definition is given. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I guess if we had more time, we would sort of hash out, well, what exactly are the messengers and angels? But just understand that there, there was this, this angelic or at least a, a messenger that represented each of the churches, okay? And there were seven churches. And I think the best way, given the significance of the number seven, which essentially should be taken as the number of perfection, biblically speaking, or the number of wholeness, right? The best way to interpret this is to say that as Jesus addresses the seven churches listed here, right, he's actually addressing the church as a whole, right? Um, so in other words, these words were not only meant to be relevant in the days they were spoken, but these words were meant to be for us as well. It's meant to be relevant for every believer in every age because Jesus is addressing the church as a whole. Uh, yes, he's speaking to these seven churches directly, but again, he's speaking to the church right, through these seven churches that represent his larger church body. Okay, and that's how I take it. That's why... God's word is meant for all of us here, right? It would also be helpful for you to know that Ephesus was a, a significant port city, right, right, right near the water, that was considered to be a very important city, rich in business and commerce. So much so that the Romans considered Ephesus to be the crown jewel of Asia, right, to quote one historian. But like any major city, you know, that bustles with people, it had its vices, for sure. You know, Ephesus was a city known for its pagan worship of Artemis, the goddess of fertility and sexuality. You know, the, the temple of Artemis was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and you can easily Google this and see sort of Images of it, uh, or, you know, people, they imagined it would look a certain way. So, you know, with this temple, Ephesus became the center of Artemis worship, and people would come to deposit their money because there was a great vault in this temple that was considered to be, at the time, the safest place to deposit your treasure. And so, uh, of course, that made the city very wealthy. Uh, any, any city with a great bank means the city's going to be very wealthy. And so Artemis was given this honor as the one who helped its citizens enjoy their great wealth and prosperity. That, that was part of the culture of Ephesus. So what do you think happened when the Apostle Paul, right, the the first missionary came into town, right? Entered into this great city, Ephesus. Well, again, we see in Acts 19, again, we'll get there, but Acts 19, 
In that chapter, we see Paul, he enters into Ephesus and he preaches the gospel. And it says that he teaches the word of God for a good two years. And it says that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even, imagine this, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That means, that's what Jesus was doing when he was ministering. But God was using the apostle Paul to, to perform all these miraculous things. And so people were coming to Christ in droves, I guess. But as more people were turning to Christ, right, they were asking the question, well, if Paul's God is real, then who is Artemis? <laughs> what do we make of Artemis? <laughs> so this, this began to severely damage the local businesses that were profiting from making silver shrines of Artemis. And there was actually, if you read, there was a riot in the city that filled the local theater. And it says that Paul wanted to confront the crowd and was willing to face his own death. It's amazing. He was, he was already ready to die. But the other disciples did not let him, right? Paul, it's not your time yet. Don't die just yet. And so the other disciples kind of forced him back. But, you know, think about it. I mean, these are the kind of, of faithful examples that we've been consistently reading about in the book of Acts, haven't we? Right? Examples of Christians speaking the truth so clearly that, that people of the world, they become so uneasy about the implication of what's being said, that they, they, they have riots on the streets because it flips their world upside down. But that is how it's supposed to be as Christians living in a fallen world. And that's the kind of faithful witness, that's the kind of faithful witness the first generation Ephesian Christians were exposed to as the church was established, you know, roughly in the early 50s, not, not 1950s, but the first century, in the 50s, like 52, 3, 4, around that time. And so imagine what the church was like when it started. And then I want you to fast forward about 40 years where the second generation Christians in Ephesus became the core group of the church because 40 years later is the time when the Apostle John was inspired to write Revelation, right? the passage we're looking at today. Right? And 40 years later is when Emperor, the emperor of Rome was Domitian. He was a very cruel and wicked man, and he demanded to be honored as a god, and he constructed for himself his own temple and his own statue to be worshipped among the people. But the church, right, Christians in Ephesus, they were known to be a people refusing to acknowledge the lordship of Domitian, or any other false god of their day. In our passage today, the Nicolaitans are mentioned, and no one knows exactly who they were. There's not much historical 
you know, information on them, but we can be assured that they were a false teacher or a, a, false, a, a false group, uh, a group that was promoting falsehood, right? That's the, that's the cultural context. Now, what I want us to focus on is first what the Ephesian Christians did well. And so basically the passage today, it's broken down into, right, what, what the Ephesus, the Ephesian Christians did well and then what they didn't do so well. And so we're going to look at both of them and then close the message with some application for us, okay? So first, what, what did they do right? Verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, I know your works, I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These are all very good things. In other words, they are not a bunch of lazy Christians. They are hardworking. They were a people of good character, they were patient and enduring and courageous and bold. They were not afraid to stand up against false teaching and guard the church from corrupt doctrine. I love that about them. I wish we had more Christians like that in our day. You know, God commends them for these traits. And so as I, as I alluded to before, you know, this, this word to Ephesus, it, it resonates with me the most. When I read this chapter, it often feels as if God is directly speaking to me because it really does seem like he's describing my own spiritual makeup, right? The way I tend to be. Because as many of you know, I'm really good at pointing out false teaching and I have no problem doing it for the most part. I'm at least comfortable doing it. You know, some, sometimes you may disagree with me in terms of what, what falsehood may be, but as long as you know that I'm right in the end and you're wrong, you know, we can, we can do life. Just, just kidding, kidding. You guys need to loosen up a little bit. You know, usually 9 o'clock's a little looser. I notice 11 o'clock's a bit more uptight these days, so I want to inject some humor sometimes, all right? God is good <laughs> all the time. God is good. All right, so look. I understand most people don't have the stomach to confront false teaching, mainly because they don't want to negatively affect the relationships they have with their family members or their close friends who may hold to such beliefs, you see, right? who may believe things that are absolutely false. I get that. I get where most people are. I know people, of course, that are diametrically opposed to what I believe. And I know it's going to happen if I point out falsehood. But the reason why I am able to call out falsehood when I see it, I want you to know it's not because I don't care about people. It's because I honestly do not see how you can genuinely care about people and love people if you don't tell them the truth. 
at some point, right? And because I've been pastoring Cornerstone for roughly 14 years now, can't believe it's already 14 years. It'll be announced later in our meeting that I'll be taking a sabbatical, not for the whole year, don't worry. We don't do whole year sabbaticals. Uh, only for de- deacons. Right? Our, our deacon June is going to be granted a whole year sabbatical in terms of serving. But uh, I'm going to be taking three months off next year, okay? 14 years. Every seven years I'm taking sabbatical, whether you like it or not. Um, but, you know, I think it's inevitable, given how long I've been here and serving, that who I am as a pastor it's going to rub off on you to some degree. In other words, whether you like it or not, brothers and sisters, if you've been here for a while, you have become a lot like me in many ways. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. <laughs> Which means that these words spoken to the church in Ephesus should also resonate with you as well to a large degree. So it would be important for us to listen to how Jesus rebukes this church, okay? So let's shift to Jesus' rebuke. What they didn't do well. What do they fail in? Verse 4. So after he says, all these you've, you've done well, right? Verse 4. I have this against you, church of Ephesus or Cornerstone. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, That's worth thinking about, right? Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember from where where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. Now, let's be honest here. The challenge with this section is in how you interpret you have abandoned the love you had at first, right? That's actually, it's not as clear-cut as you may think. The NIV puts it this way. You have forsaken your first love. I I say that it's not as clear-cut because I, I see people interpreting this, I think, in the wrong way often. Um, they They sort of take it in, in it's a very emotional direction, you know, because <laughs> the way they define love is just very, you know, worldly as well. And so I, I do think with all of my heart, okay, that it would be a huge mistake <clears throat> for us to interpret this passage to mean, look, you know what? It is not loving to confront false doctrine. Don't you see? Don't you see how people are responding to you when you, you point out false doctrine? That's not a loving thing. Right? It's, it's not, brothers, it's, it's not correct to take it that way. Right, let, me, let me contextualize this a bit so that it hits, hits home. Because the, these charges have been made against me before, as some of you may know. Pastor, Pastor Paul, it, it's, it's unloving for you to not support 
BLM as an organization. People have accused me of not being loving for not supporting BLM as an organization. Or pastor, you, you do not love women if you don't support a woman's right to abortion. Or you don't love homosexuals if you don't support gay marriage or their lifestyle. How many times have you heard that one? Right? That's, that's the gospel in our day. Or you don't love transgenders if you don't support transgenderism and their lifestyle. And more recently, you can't say that you love people if you're opposed to mask mandates or vaccine mandates. That, that one drives me nuts. So, brothers and sisters, please do not take this passage to mean that you are unloving if you take a particular stand on these important moral issues of our day. That's a mistake. That's a huge mistake. Right? Do not overlook the fact that Jesus commends the Ephesian Christians for taking a moral stand against the evils of their day. He's not saying... Stop taking moral stands. Stop speaking against falsehood. That's not his issue. So then what is it? What is the issue? What does, it, what, what does Jesus mean when he says you have abandoned the love you had at first? And what I'm saying here is that it, it cannot mean that they were not loving at all. Okay? It cannot mean that, that they were devoid of of love completely or absolutely. I'll, I'll try to hash out that a little bit more, okay? It's true that in this immediate passage, it's, it's a little vague still. You know, we're not sure what Jesus ex- means exactly just based on this passage, but I think the letter to the Ephesians can help us. Okay, so just kind of keep this timeline in mind. You have, you have the church established in the 50s, you know, 50 probably two, three, four or so, that A.D. 50-ish. And then John is writing in A.D. 90, okay, about 40 years removed from the church plant, okay? Ephesians was written about 10 years into the church plant, right, around the 60s, right? So that, that's a timeline. But Ephesians helps because even after 10 years, guess what? The Ephesian church was known for their love, and so the language of love is just, it, it, it keeps on repeating itself as you read the letter to the Ephesians. For example, let me just highlight just two passages. I actually read four or five during nine o'clock. And it was too much information. So let me, let me boil it down to two. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Apostle Paul writes, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and I have heard of your love, Toward all the saints. See, in other words, even after 10 years of being planted at church, they were known for their love toward all the saints. And Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you because of the evidence of your love, the love that you show to all the saints. Right? Do you, do you think he, he was referring to just, you know, like these vague notions of love? No, they, they weren't just talking about love. They were expressing their love in tangible ways to people, right, to other believers. And so Paul praises them for that. That's the love 
that they once had. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, I think here he's speaking of a different sort of kind of love. But of course, you know, all love is related. But I just want you to see the contrast a little bit, okay? Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But how do you do all that? Well, by speaking the truth in love. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that the Ephesians were doing the second part very well all throughout the decades, whether it's 80-50, 80-60, or 80-90. Right? They were speaking the truth in love very well. That was the reason why they were pointing out these falsehoods. It was out of love that they were doing so. However, they were missing the other aspect right, of expressing Jesus' love in tangible and practical ways in service to others, right, in sharing their resources generously to others in the broken world they were living in. I believe that's what's, what's going on. You know, you compare the first generation Christians to the second generation Christians, I think there was some, some shift in mindset and in practical service. Something was lost over the course of 40 years. The church was still committed to truth and doctrinal purity, but over time, the members of the church became more and more jaded by the surrounding culture they were living in, and they be began to offer less and less practical care for people. I think that's the best way to interpret this. When Paul founded the Ephesian church, the people were extremely generous. But you fast forward 40 years to when Revelation was written, this church was still relatively affluent, but they, weren't, they were not using their wealth to help others like they used to during Paul's time. And I think we can all relate to this because that's sort of our story as well. If you recall the past two years, you know, just like these Ephesian Christians, how they grew increasingly apathetic toward a surrounding culture that was so toilet backwards, haven't many of us grown apathetic toward the culture around us too? This is, I think, human tendency. It's, it's, it's certainly my tendency. In our context, think about what BLM or CRT or COVID have done to us. My natural impulse has been to point out the errors I see, but then to distance myself from certain people and live in my own safe place. And you know what? In the meantime, I'm engaging less and less with people. And then the less and less I engage, 
the less I'm actually serving others in tangible ways. You see how that works? So I, I can still boldly point out error, you know, but in the meantime, I'm seeing people less and less. I'm serving people less and less. Hasn't that been our story for the most part over the past two years? And so how does the Lord want us to respond? Well, in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the works you did at first. <laughs> do the works you did. And would it be so wrong to contextualize and, and basically say, do the works that we did two, three years ago. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. That's some sobering words there. You know, I obviously can't speak for all of you. All I can do, brothers and sisters, is is point you to Jesus' words and ask you to examine your own hearts in light of what these words say, okay? That's what I'm trying to do. If these words resonate with you as the Holy Spirit convicts your hearts because you know that you also have fallen from the place you once were, then you know what? The, The call, God's call for you is to repent, So let's repent if you you have fallen from that place. You know, genuine repentance means that you are to accept the grace of God offered to you through Jesus Christ. and You're to obey God's will for you by doing the good works you did at first. So don't just give God lip service and say, okay, I'm sorry. Again, it... I point you back to this passage again. Repent, and then what? Do the works you did at first. If you don't, I will remove your lampstand. I can't, I can't leave that part out, unfortunately. In other words, God is speaking to us, not just as individuals. God, God will not just judge us as individuals, but he will judge us as a church. That, that's what makes my job extremely burdensome and heavy sometimes. I'm responsible for how this church shapes up ultimately. You know, that's the a, that's a burden I carry. That's the weight on my shoulders. He, he judges us also as a church, and he says, I will remove your lampstand if you do not repent. That's why I chose to speak from this message as we close out the year. Because I don't want us to remain as we are, even though I I admit that we have made much progress throughout this year. But wouldn't you confess that there were some bad habits being formed throughout the year? You know? I'm not dismissing the effects of COVID that they're real, but isn't it also true that we've made excuses as well along the way, you know, blaming COVID for this and that, but also in the meantime, just forming bad habits that are just not healthy, regardless of COVID. Thankfully, brothers and sisters, there is historical evidence that the Ephesian church 
responded to this rebuke well, and they repented for their apathy and negligence. So I, I call upon us to respond to this message in the same manner, to repent of our apathy and negligence. So here, is, here are a couple of points that I'd like for us to consider, just two things as we close the message. Number one, brothers and sisters, let's not compromise in the things that the Ephesian church was commended for, right? Remember, once again, that these Ephesian Christians, they, they hated the right things. Can we be clear? It's not wrong to hate the right things in life. You know, you cannot bear with those who are evil, Jesus says to them. That's a good thing. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's commending them. So, brothers and sisters, let's ask the Lord for wisdom so that we may discern what we're to actually hate in life. And as we do so, trusting that our hearts would align with the heart of God, that we would hate the things he hates. But let's also remember that these Ephesian Christians loved as well. They loved the truth. You know, for modern folks, unfortunately, truth is not valued or treasured. Contrary to what some may, may say or think, because I, I receive this criticism sometimes as well as a pastor of the church. You know, pastor, I think Cornerstone, you know, you, you focus too much on truth. You know? Really? Get behind me, Satan. I, I never said that to them, but... Um, Honestly, I don't think for one moment <clears throat> that God thinks our church loves truth too much. You know, is that really what some of you think? Confession. This may or may not surprise you, but I am often tempted to actually compromise the truth. <laughs> Do you see me as a compromiser? I am often tempted to compromise the truth. So this can't be the case that we, we focus too much on the truth when I'm always struggling to hold the truth up as something to be valued. I can in any, any given week compromise God's truth, don't you realize? That's how, how prone I am to fall. Wouldn't it be more appropriate for us to say that we don't love God's truth enough And that we should make a greater commitment to uphold God's truth, especially in this world we live in, so that we would love God better and serve others better. But let's not make the mistake of devaluing truth or somehow making it sound as if we love the truth too much. It's thinking way too highly of ourselves. Secondly, in the new year, brothers and sisters, let's resolve to set aside some time on a regular basis to cultivate a love for the Lord, but let me emphasize the second part, to cultivate a practical okay, and tangible way to express our love for others, which has been, for the most part, absent during the years of COVID. 
because it's honestly been hard to, right? It's been hard. It's been hard to give, but also it's, it's been hard to receive. It's like, I don't want to stay away from, you know. The handshake has finally come back, you know, not too long ago. Even that's been hard. So as you read this passage, do not think that the solution to our problem that Jesus points out here is to think less of truth or to to stop pointing out falsehood or being less interested in, in doctrine. That is not the right solution. The solution is to rather repent of our apathy and negligence when it comes to serving and loving others in practical ways. And over the past two years, it's true, several areas of the life of the church have become idle, you know? Not all all of our ministry teams have been functioning in a healthy way because it's just been so hard to recruit people to serve. It's been so hard to conduct gatherings on a regular basis. I think it's accurate to say that some of our, you know, ministry teams have been dysfunctional. Volunteerism has gone way down, although, again, you know, it's been picking up of late, so I'm thankful for that. But what I'm saying is in the new year, brothers and sisters, let's seek to revitalize all of our ministries so that we could become the ministry that we once were and do the works that we did before. Many of us are sick at home this weekend, but after this Omicron wave passes, I think this could be possible. You know, uh, again, I invite all of you to attend our congregational meeting. There'll be some important items reported. And if you're, if you're not a member yet, uh, you can, if you'd like to learn more about the church, you're invited to attend and observe, okay, and consider uh, being part of, a, uh, you know, of the life of the church as, as a member in the future, but... Uh, Please, um, let's finish off this year well together, okay? For those of you watching at home, if we happen to be under 38 people, some of you may receive a text to come, okay, so we can hold a a meeting, but uh, I I close with this message, okay? Uh, Let's let's ponder this seriously, and uh, let's do a heart check, examine our our ministry, where we are, and uh, seek to honor the Lord in 2022. Let that be the final word for this year. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for loving your people by speaking your truth clearly to us through your word, and especially through the words spoken to the seven churches in Revelation. Given how backwards our culture has become, we, we do care deeply about preserving your truth for the sake of your honor, but also for the sake of the well-being of others. At the same time, we recognize our tendency to become jaded by this world and to want to isolate ourselves from it. During these confusing times we're living in, grant us the wisdom needed to love you and to serve others well while not compromising our faith. And prepare us for the coming year that we may remember from where we have fallen and to do the works we did at first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.